Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guests today are Richard Gentry, Associate Professor of Management at the University of Mississippi, Timothy Quigley, Associate Professor of Management at the University of Georgia, and Steve Bowie, Professor at Texas A&M University Mays Business School. We'll be discussing their article, A Database of CEO Turnover and Dismissal in S&P 1500 Firms, 2000 to 2018, which was written with co-author Joseph Harrison, Assistant Professor of Strategy at Texas Christian University. The paper was recently published in the Strategic Management Journal. I'll link to it in the show notes for the episode. Rich, Tim, Steve, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thanks for having us, Andrew. Thanks for having us. I wondered if before we start the conversation, if you could introduce to the listeners the topic, the subfield of CEO succession studies. What types of questions do researchers in this field ask, and how does their research translate to academic audiences and then industry and markets? I like to think about this in terms of three broad areas of research related to CEO succession. When does it happen and why? Once we know a succession is going to occur, who gets picked? Which person is going to take over the firm going forward? And Bree, what does that mean for the firm going forward generally in terms of performance? But people can look at other outcomes as well. And if we think about those three broad buckets, it relates broadly to the idea of this research on leadership of do leaders matter? Does it matter who's in charge of a company? But more specifically in the business context and specifically related to our data set, we can look at does turnover happen when performance falls short like we would expect? Is it uh, as sensitive to bad performance as what we might expect or in different circumstances, violations of personal conduct? conduct problems and things like that? And what sorts of people make attractive candidates to be the next CEO? And how do they perform once they're on the job? So broadly understanding all these sorts of things can inform academic research and practice in terms of how to best select uh, the next leader, how to compensate them, how to motivate them, how to monitor them, and, and to make sure that they're delivering the things that the shareholders, the owners of the firm, and other stakeholders want. This paper reflects a really substantial undertaking to produce an open source data set of CEO departures for about an 18-year period, coded by the reasons for those departures. What motivated you to pursue this project, and what research questions did you set out to answer? So this is Steve. I'll take that at least at the beginning. Rich can chime in afterwards and see if I tell the story correctly. This paper really got its start when we were at an academic conference. We were at the Strategic Management Society's annual conference. And at that conference, part of what they do is researchers are there presenting early stage research papers, talking about them. And there's a specific kind of session there where they call them roundtable sessions, where usually it's five to six sets of authors sit at a table and they discuss their papers. Rich and I were at that session, and the session was a, a CEO succession session. And there were six people presenting their papers, and each one of them had data on CEO firing. And as they discussed how they got the data, each group of scholars talked about how they had hand collected the sample for their individual paper. And Rich and I, who were sitting off to the side, we looked at each other and we just said, this is ridiculous. Why are we still, each of us, hand collecting the same data every single time And the other issue that we started talking about was the fact that if each set of scholars is collecting and coding CEO firing separately, it's really hard to know if they're choosing 
the same turnover events and classifying them the same way. And consequently, if we're trying to compare research findings across studies, it becomes really difficult to understand how well these findings generalize if we don't really understand if the same events are being coded the same way. So that was really the start of the project. I would say the other aspect of it that made this project viable that we'll probably talk about more later is also the fact that one of our top journals changed its policies recently to make it more feasible to publish research that is slightly more empirical in nature. So our goal was to develop this empirical data set and not to test a bunch of new theoretical propositions. And historically, that wouldn't have been possible to publish in our top journals. So the incentives were not really set up for scholars to do this kind of work that could benefit other people. I'll chime in just to give support to SMS. So this was actually at the Las Vegas Behavioral Strategy Focused Conference that Aaron Hill and Craig Crossland and some others put together. This is a story in some ways of creating a common resource for a field for reducing some of those inefficiencies with each person creating his or her own data set. And Steve, you mentioned that a lot of people were hand collecting their own data, that you had questions immediately about whether those data were consistent. Could you maybe talk a little bit about the state of the field before you prepared this data set? It sounds like others had done things that were similar, but were there any weaknesses or flaws in their methods that you wanted to correct for? I'll take that a little bit and I'll let Tim speak about this for a minute. But you're right. There are lots of CEO succession and CEO firing papers that already exist in the literature. However, in each one of those papers, scholars were individually collecting and coding the reasons or the dismissal data. And there's no way to compare those data sets across papers. And so that was really the impetus. But I'll let Tim speak on this a little more. Absolutely, Steve. So the main thing is that most people start research on CEO turnover from one of two databases, ExecuComp or BoardX. And in truth, those two databases in turn come from one source, the proxy statements that companies issue each year where they're required by SEC regulation to reveal. It's actually a salary-based, compensation-based rule, but it gets us to the information on CEO turnover that we're looking for, where they've got to reveal information about who are the top five highest paid executives? Plus, the CEO is typically one of those five people. So it's generally the CEO and four more. And by having that information in the proxy statement, these two companies, BoardX and ExecuComp, are able to, or people that make those two databases, are able to generate these data sets that sort of show, here was the CEO for a given fiscal year, and here was the CEO for the following fiscal year. And, and where things get muddy is when there's a fiscal year where there's a turnover, the thing we're interested in. And these databases are really good at telling us, hey, somewhere between fiscal year 2019 and 2020, there was a turnover, but exactly when it happened, exactly how it happened, what the circumstances were, the databases don't capture any of that. And in fact, if there were three CEOs in the process, there was an interim CEO, they hired another CEO, that CEO got terminated after two months because of the scandal, and then a new CEO on top of that was hired. We may not even capture that interim and that two-month term CEO in those databases. They may not get captured at all. And so what we're left with is lots of scholars having to go and either hand collect this information to verify what they have, or the worst case scenario is people are going and doing research on turnover and they're missing 
some of these more nuanced cases. And so there's a lot of research that's been done. A lot of uh, scholars have collected this data. There's a handful of them out there that have really done some cool work where as part of their effort, they decided they're going to publish on, a, on their own website data sets that capture some of this and the reasons for the turnover as well, not just when it happened, but also was it a voluntary? Was it sickness? Did somebody die? Did, was the, their merger and acquisition? All of these sorts of things. But very few of them capture all of that. And our goal was to say, let's put a tag on every single turnover it occurs and explain what it is and why it happened. And let's be open about it so that people can see exactly how we drew that conclusion. And because our paper was 100% focused on generating this data set that we were going to share, we focused all of our energies on that. And, and we did our best to make sure the data was as, I don't, I, I was about to say the word perfect, certainly not, the data is definitely not perfect, but as, as good as it possibly could be, but more important, as transparent as it could be so others could come through and question our work and make updates to it as they needed uh, along the way if they found some new information. This is Steve. I'll just add one last thing onto what Tim said. He made a great point in that because we were only focused on collecting the data and publishing the data, also, we feel like it will be easier for future researchers to come and use our data set because they know we had no incentive. We weren't trying to prove a hypothesis here. And so all we cared about was the data quality and not our findings. And so we hope that makes both our efforts more transparent and the data set more usable in the future. One thing I really appreciated about this paper was how transparent you were about talking about your procedures and, and the protocols that you followed. And I, I think that does go a long way in terms of conveying the quality assurance that you did. And I think that even for folks listening who might be setting out on a big coding project like this, who aren't writing in the area of CEO succession, just that piece, I think, alone would be helpful in, in thinking about how you structured your data collection and your coding efforts. So I'd like to talk about that effort just a little bit. In particular, I was intrigued that at one point you had about 28,000 reports and news items that had to be human reviewed and you used workers on Amazon's MTurk service to make that manageable. I'd love to hear a little bit about your data collection, your coding effort, uh, and here in particular how you used MTurk and if you have any advice for other scholars who might want to use that or a service like it to tackle big projects. This is Rich. I'll handle that. It's okay. So we started out, I ran a Google search. Uh, so I wrote a little script that pinged Google to pull news articles. And because we started with Tim's data on date of CEO turnover, we used those dates in Google News to pull anything related to the CEO's name inside a window around that departure date. That obviously generated a lot of links that didn't lead to anything. And because we were trying to form a foundation of articles related with turnovers that we could then give to other readers to read and interpret the CEO event, I wanted to pull out all the results from that Google search that weren't newsworthy, weren't related to the CEO's succession. And that was what MTurk people did. So they went through and just looked at the article and gave me a yes, no on whether or not the article in that URL was related with the CEO's turnover or not. And then from that, I pulled down to use undergraduate students who are monitored by PhD students to read more thoroughly on each individual CEO succession. So MTurk's terribly helpful. The challenge and the job for the person assigning the work to those folks is to make sure that the job is as tractable and manageable as possible because they're moving from a task where they're going to be coding CEO succession articles to looking at pictures and saying whether or not they contain balloons. And you can't ask them to engage a lot of cognitive effort in each individual task because they're going to be doing a lot of different tasks. And they also 
are looking for large quantities of work. And as a research professor, I'm just throwing stuff up there maybe a couple times a year. I need to make it easy for them to take on that task, lest they don't invest a lot of time and do inconsistent work. So we spent a fair amount of time making sure that job was really straightforward for them. And it literally just involved them clicking a URL that was presented to them and telling me, yes, no, it's related with the succession or not. I do. I like MTurk quite a bit for that kind of stuff. It's really helpful. And what about afterward in terms of how you were able to, what size are we talking about in this data set? We've talked a little bit about the period that it covers, but how many entries do we have? How many CEO departures does it cover in the end? Something like seven to 9,000. So there's a fair amount of mergers and acquisitions that didn't require a deep dive to figure out what was going on. So when we had the kind of unusual situation that we we were doing the data collection and then COVID hit. So to start, I employed 20 or 30 undergraduates students and put them in a computer lab and then put two PhD students who would watch the undergrads and be there to offer assistance and also double check their work while they were doing it. So it was all in Google Sheets. The students would upload the reasons while they were doing that. The doc students could see what they were writing and tell them if it made sense or if they were being a little too curt in their writing. And then COVID hit and everything got shut down. And then we were fortunate enough that Steve's got a terribly large network. John Busenbark, who's at Notre Dame, used an outsourcing firm on a separate project. And we employed those folks to finish up the coding. And then after the outsourcing firm coded up all the events and collected any extra news information they needed, I had a couple students who were working remote and I had them read through all the stuff that the outsourcing firm put together. So everything got read at least twice to try to make sure that it was that it made sense and was consistent. The key contribution of this paper was preparing the data set itself. And I think, as Steve mentioned, you weren't out to prove any particular hypothesis. But with that said, were there any initial findings or obvious insights that you were able to draw from your data set? Sure. This is Steve. I'll I'll take that one. One of the things we did in validating the data set was we actually compared some findings using our data with the findings of some other papers that had published CEO dismissal studies. One of the things that we felt was the good news was that our data produces similar results to studies that have used other hand-collected data sources. We were even able to get three other scholars who had published papers in this area to share their data with us. And so we could look at three different data sets and look at each particular CEO succession event to see exactly how much they overlapped with each other and how much they overlapped with our coding schemes. And the good news was there was a relatively high amount of overlap, but it also gave us a chance to really dig in and understand when there were mistakes or coding errors, maybe in the other data sets. And so our goal was to really understand why mistakes might happen and leave our coding scheme open so other people If they want to use this data, they can understand why in a particular event, this turnover event was classified as a firing or a retirement, et cetera. And then just more broadly, we did run some analyses where we looked at factors that might explain CEO dismissal. And so even though our findings were really preliminary, one of the interesting findings is that when you break dismissals out into dismissals that are based on bad behavior of the CEO versus performance, what is that prior studies tend to lump those two types of dismissals together. And that appears to create a little more noise. So we think future research going forward needs to be really careful and analyze those types of 
dismissal events separately if we really want to understand especially how tightly performance and dismissal are linked. You prepared this data set, of course, with a view toward the future and, and future research that can be done using it. What future research questions would you perhaps as a team or as individual scholars like to answer using this data set? Or what types of questions would you like to see others use it for? This is Tim. I can jump in here and build on uh, something Steve was talking about. I think one of the cool supplemental or just purely demonstrative findings in the paper uh, that we puzzled with was we did a simple model where we tested what is the relationship between performance and dismissal? And when we actually separate out these two categories, the relationship gets a little bit weaker, right? When we just test CEOs that are dismissed for performance reasons, the link between performance and dismissal for actual performance reasons is a little bit weaker than it is for the link between performance and dismissal for any reason personal conduct included. And that's puzzling because the personal conduct dismissals ought to be, as Steve said, noise. And our supposition here is that, and of course, once you think through this, it's one of these obvious things that, of course, that's the way it works. But this idea that if you're a CEO that is undertaking or behaving in a way that's inappropriate, but you're performing really well, it's a really good chance the board's going to look the other way. But if you're a CEO falsifying some expense reports to hide an affair that you're having, or you get caught uh, with a, somehow a DUI or a drug charge that doesn't become public and things are going really well, they're going to look the other way and let it be because you're performing really well. Nobody wants to get rid of the really good performing CEO. But if you're performing poorly and you do one of those things, they're going to show you the door really quick. And there's some classic examples of this. If we go back to the CEO of Best Buy, the case of the McDonald's CEO, where they actually publicized the inappropriate behavior very quickly after the event, which is maybe a little bit new in this, but, but it, it tends to be the case, we think, that CEOs that are performing really well might not face that same fate as a CEO who's performing poorly. What key takeaways would you like listeners to have from this conversation and from the paper? And if I'm a researcher who wants to take a look at your data set or to use it for my own research, where can I go to get it? This is Rich. I'll take that. So it's all on Zenodo, which is a data repository hosted by the CERN Research Lab in Europe. The paper is available on the Strategic Management Journal website. Even on that is open. You can find the link to the Zenodo database, or you can go to zenodo.org and just type in CEO Dismissal Database. I'll follow up with that a little bit. So yeah, we wanted to make the data easy to find, but really we think one of the things our research highlights is the fact that the field of strategy is trying to become a field that is more open with more norms towards open data sharing. There are some fields where the norms really are, where researchers are much more willing to share their data. I feel like historically, the field of strategy has not been that. We want to build a more open and inclusive culture where scholars are willing to share their resources with others. And we do think that there are lots of opportunities to study CEOs and the reasons why they turn over. I think it's received wisdom, both in the press and among scholars, that I see this number touted all the time that CEOs are being replaced more quickly than in the past, and that it's harder to be CEO and they're more likely to get fired. Our evidence seemed to suggest that's not really true, that CEO tenure doesn't really seem to be decreasing the rate of CEO firing seems to be relatively constant across years. And as Tim mentioned, even though we weren't testing hypotheses, the link between firm performance and CEO firing is not as tight as governance scholars and shareholders might wish. And so we think that that leads to lots of opportunity for future research to understand these relationships. 
One more thing. This is Tim. I can't say enough about the importance of this shift that I think is happening in the field of strategic management and other academic disciplines about openness, sharing of data, and demonstrating robustness of our results. And one way you can do that is is by making this data available and openly accessible to others. And so I think it's important to recognize the step that Strategic Management Journal took in particular by allowing these specific data set papers as something that they're going to consider in a publication in their journal. And our paper, is, as I understand it, only the second one accepted. Uh, SMJ has been doing this for about two or three years. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with other scholars about, wow, I didn't even know this was possible. I've got this cool data. And uh, talk to me about your experience, Tim, and, and help me understand what it might take to, to get my data into a paper like this. I think unrelated to the topic area of what we've done, I think by trying to publicize it, by doing your podcast, Steve's done a great job of getting the message out on Twitter to other scholars and really alerting people to this idea that this is an important thing that our field needs to do. You can get in a publication from it. You got to be willing to share your data. And But I think all of those things are really positive steps that our work hopefully will keep pushing the ball down the field, uh, if you will, in terms of other scholars getting on board and sharing their data and being transparent. I think those are really important takeaways that I hope were just a small part in accelerating that process. Totally agree. Our guests today have been Richard Gentry, Associate Professor of Management at the University of Mississippi, Timothy Quigley, Associate Professor of Management at the University of Georgia, and Stephen Bowie, Professor at Texas A&M University Mays Business School. We've discussed their article, A Database of CEO Turnover and Dismissal in S&P 1500 Firms, 2008 to 2018, which was written with co-author Joseph Harrison, Assistant Professor of Strategy at Texas Christian University. The paper was recently published in the Strategic Management Journal, and I'll link to it in the show notes for the episode. Rich, Tim, Steve, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.